And now, the time fight fans all across the globe have been waiting for. It's the Trackstar Sports MMA main card with your man, The Voice. As always, let's start off with some headlines and hot takes. Mirko Krokop joined Bellator this past week and his first fight will be a rematch of a fight that he had in the UFC versus Roy Big Country Nelson. That's going to take place in London on the 200th card. Ah, Bellator strikes again with bringing back blasts from the past to prop up the product that they have. Hopefully it works out for them in this case. Uh, this is going to be really interesting because Crow Cop beat my man, Nigel Stand Up. That's right, King Mo in Rising, which is where Crow Cop has been fighting ever since he retired after he had a positive uh, drug test, retired from the UFC. Then a couple months later, pops up in Rising in Japan who has no drug testing policy. Hmm, figure that. Knocks out my man Mo uh, in Rising. Has been looking phenomenal. Figure that in Rising. This fight's going to take place in London. I don't know who's going to be overseeing that portion of things. Usually, whenever Bellator fights overseas or in an area that doesn't have its own commission, it uses the uh, Mohican Sun Commission to run it. Hopefully they will. Hopefully they'll test because, yeah, I, I just, I don't trust Cop. I don't trust Cop. Here's something else to think about for this fight. Mo and Big Country trained together. Last time Big Country fought, Mo was in Roy's corner. And that's who's going to be fighting Crow Cop. So it's not like he doesn't have people in his corner. Number one, again, uh, Roy's fought Crow Cop before. But then he also has people in his corner that have fought Crow Cop recently. Uh, so hoping to see Big Country uh, pull it out and uh, have another victory over steroids. Another throwback to the days of Japan and Pride. Bellator stated this week, or I should say, Scott Coker, the chief of Bellator, said that he's targeting a fight between Vandalay Silva and Quentin Jackson. That's right. I'm not calling the man Rampage because he has not been rampaging on anything but the buffet. So, Quentin Jackson. These two have fought three times before, but they've been in different organizations, as I stated. This is a throwback to the days of pride in Japan. That's where they fought the first two times, and Vandalay won both of those fights by the same method, KO by knees. Quentin got his revenge in the UFC, and KO the axe murderer uh, with strikes, with punches. 
That was nearly 10 years ago, though. And the first time they fought was back in 2003. So this is bad blood that's been going on for about 15 years. Yeah, expect to see that on a tent pole coming up real soon. Ruthless. The Ruthless One. Rebecca Ruth is returning to action at Bellator 197 at the Family Arena in St. Charles, Missouri against Juliana Vasquez. The Rigo native Vasquez is undefeated and trains out of Team Nogueira in Brazil. Fighting out of Robertsville, Missouri, ruthless Rebecca Ruth will have her first fight since tasting defeat at the hands of the current flyweight champion, Lima Le McFarlane. Once again, Rebecca Ruth will be fighting in her home state of Missouri, only about an hour away from her home at St. Charles is a part of the St. Louis metropolitan area and, of course, in the state of Missouri. Continuing in our Bellator conversation, Rafael Lovato Jr. is going to return to the Bellator cage versus John Salter at Bellator 198 in Chicago. That tent pole event will be headlined by Fedor Milninko versus Frank Mir. That's going to be at the Allstate Arena. Had a chance to catch a fight there last time Bellator was in town. Or I should say last time Bellator was in Chicago. Uh, went up there to watch my man King Mo beat up on Quentin Jackson. Yeah, that's right. Saw a lot of other good fights there as well. So uh, that should be a good fight. Good, strong Russian contingency there in Chicago. They were out in full force to see Fedor. And all Fedor was doing was signing uh, autographs on the... Uh, in the, the hallway. I got an autograph from him and that's all he was there to do, but lots and lots of Russians there in Chicago supporting him, so it's a good look for Bellator as far as that's concerned. If you don't know who Rafael Lovato Jr. is, he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu ace and he has been fighting uh, in Bellator primarily, so looking forward to seeing him come back and fight and Watch his progression. Speaking of Brazilian jiu-jitsu aces, one of the biggest names in that specific martial art right now, Gary Tonin, who has been killing everybody in submission grappling, is making his MMA debut with one championship. That's right. One Iron Will is the name of the card that he will be on. That's going to be in Bangkok, Thailand. Have not watched a one card yet, but one of the great things about one is that when you purchase the pay-per-view, which is $10, same cost as Fight Pass, you get access to all of their library for a month. So unlike Fight Pass, it keeps the subscription going you can do it a month at a time with one championship and with some of the great fights that they have with Angela Lee yeah if you like MMA 
that's ten dollars well spent Darren Till is angling for a fight with RDA at UFC 224 in Rio de Janeiro that card will be taking place in May sometime now Guillermo Cruz reported that former featherweight champion Jose Aldo Jr. wants to fight Jeremy Stevens in Rio on that very same card. The only thing that has been made as far as that card is concerned, like I said, Darren Till is angling for the fight with RDA. He's angling for it because RDA obviously is uh, Brazilian. He's one of their former champions. Darren Till lived in Brazil uh, fell in love with a beautiful Brazilian woman and uh, has a daughter who was born there in Brazil speaks Portuguese so he feels as if if he can get on this card get a good fight on the card it will help with raising his profile and that even though it will be Brazil against the world as most of the cards in Brazil are that he would have a strong backing due to the time that he spent there. As I stated, those are rumors about this card. The only thing that's official is the title fight, which just got made. That's right. Amanda Nunez will face off against Raquel Pennington for the Bantamweight title. This fight has been rumored for quite some time after Cyborg's victory last week though Dana was talking about hmm I wonder if there's any way we can uh, make the Nunez Cyborg fight now you know Dana sometimes can get ahead of himself he doesn't necessarily know all the inner workings of what's going on as far as the matchmakers are concerned and the contracts that they may have out there and sure enough this contract was out there it got made. It's the fight that really should happen because Raquel Pennington is the clear person to face Nunez for the title. She's the clear, clear contender. If Nunez was to go and face Cyborg, and let's say she beat Cyborg, well, that would tie up the 135-pound division. This makes things nice and clean because really, after uh, Raquel Pennington, there's nobody there in that division um, that's worthy of a title shot. That needs to be worked out. So it gives some time and hopefully they'll make some more Bantamweight titles. Or I shouldn't say titles, but Bantamweight fights between now and then to help with shaping up that division. Last but not least, on the MMA Hour this week, Luke Rockhold said he is done with the middleweight division. Said he's getting older, his bones are getting bigger, and it's just too hard for him to cut down to 185 anymore. He's going to 205. And he called out the mauler, Alexander Gustafson. Said he wants him to welcome him to the light heavyweight division to quote the brilliant minds at the co-main event podcast hashtag would watch that's a great call out 
five rock hole because Alexander Gustafson is always in contention for the title. If he were to come in and beat him, it will put him at the top of the pecking order because he's beat someone who's fought for the title twice. He's a former champion, which already gives him a lot of sway when it comes to matchmaking. And it just makes for the best call out and the best position for him. The only thing that makes this a bit weird is that the current champion is the former training partner and one of the best friends of Luke Rocco and as Daniel DC Cormier. Cormier is fighting for the heavyweight title next. It's quite possible that he can beat Stipe. DC's never lost a heavyweight. But if he doesn't, he's coming back to 205. If he's fighting anybody except for John Jones, yeah, uh, it may be a minute before Rocco can sniff the title. I don't see them fighting each other. I just really don't. Like I said, good friends, training partners, even though Rocco is training with the team formerly known as the Black Zillions, I just don't see him in D.C. ever doing the thing and dancing in the cage. I just don't see it. March 3rd was a night to remember. And very well may be a night that goes down in the history books as a night where rising stars got an opportunity to shine. The main event was there because the UFC has to have a title in their main event. That's the way they've been doing their pay-per-views for some years now that is their formula and they've yet to deviate from it it was a squash match had yana kuniskaya won it would have been the greatest numerical upset in ufc history but that did not happen christian justino that's right my girl cyborg cyborg does what cyborg does and she just cyborg just like stiff stiffs cyborg cyborgs and she went into straight cyborg mode and destroyed yana kunaskaya in the first round it was so funny kunaskaya said leading up to this fight and i shared this in the mma main card last week she was like cyborg doesn't have one punch knockout power so i'm not afraid to get hit And then she got hit. And her whole tune changed. She may not have one punch knockout power, but she got power in those punches, which is the reason why most of Cyborg's victories come by way of knockout. She hit Kunaskaya so hard that the girl was flinching like, (laughs) like she was in a fight on the playground every time Cyborg uh, would faint to throw a punch. She's like, no, no, don't hit me, don't hit me, don't hit me. Kind of like throwing her hands up in her face to try to keep from getting hit. But uh, that was not a very effective 
defense against Cyborg, who split those two hands and, yeah, kept pounding on her until Herb Dean said, enough is enough. Let's listen to Cyborg's post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. Ladies and gentlemen, referee Herb Dean has called a stop to this contest at three minutes, 25 seconds of the very first round, declaring the winner by TKO and still the undisputed UFC featherweight champion of the world, Chris All right, I'm here with the winner, Chris Cyborg. First of all, Chris, congratulations on defending your title. What is it like to defend your title on short notice, to get the call, to make this pay-per-view card, and then to face someone who's an Invicta Bantamweight champion? You know, I say thank you for all my fans coming here. Thank you all, glory to God. Thank you for this opportunity. And uh, I'm going to say I train all the time, and I take this fight like shooter box style. In three weeks notice, and I train always, I say anywhere, anytime, anybody. That I can put from the angle front. It seems like the only problem you have right now is finding a worthy challenge. Who do you think out there right now currently can challenge you? No, I wait for Amanda. Amanda calling me out, and now I'm here away with her. So Amanda Nunes, UFC bantamweight champion, you believe that will be your next fight? I know, Brazil against Brazilians, for me it's sad, but I don't want to make this fight. And she calling me out, and when you call Cyber Walk, you have to handle it. I, for one, will look forward to seeing that fight. Congratulations on defending your title. We look forward to seeing you again. Chris Cyborg, ladies and gentlemen. Brian T-City Ortega pulled off the most high-profile victory and the signature win to date for himself by not just beating Frankie the answer Edgar former UFC lightweight champion but he made history by stopping him for the first time in his career in the UFC and did so in dramatic fashion oh my goodness started off hitting him with some elbows Then he put together a combination where he hit Frankie Edgar with everything, including the kitchen sink. Jabs, hooks, head kicks, just hurting him, rocking him over and over again. And then he caught him with a Michael Jackson, the way you make me feel uppercut. He knocked him off of his feet now, baby. Oh, man, it was crazy, absolutely crazy, and puts him in line to fight Max Holloway for the featherweight title. That fight is going to be phenomenal, and with all the heat coming off of this, this is the second high-profile victory in a row that T-City has had. His last fight, which wasn't that long ago, was a main event 
where he choked out, or did not, let me not say choked out, but at least submitted Cub Swanson in Fresno. So, yeah, he's on a major, major role. And you know the role that Holloway has been on. He's won nine or ten fights in a row, something crazy like that. I know I take that back. I think he's 11 fights in a row. He's also a young fighter. And whenever that fight goes down, you want to be in a position to see it. Oh, my goodness. Enough from me. Let's hear a bit from Brian T-City Ortega about the signature win. He was, he was coming in a little bit, and my long arms couldn't really start striking him as much, so I threw one elbow in, and I caught him, and I said, okay, this is how I'm going to catch him. When he comes in, I'm going to throw that elbow, and I seen that, that right come to me, and I threw that, that elbow, and uh, it landed flush, and I looked at him, and he seemed kind of dazed, so I kind of went in his face still, and then once I seen, okay, this guy's really rocked right now, I went under and, and just kind of caught him with that uppercut and finished him. How much time are you going to give yourself to even kind of bask in this? You know, Max Holloway's probably next. You got to get back into the gym. How much time do you spend enjoying this moment this week? What's next? I'm not sure, man. Honestly, I've been, I've been kind of, this horse has been overworked. This is like my <laughs> third fight in eight months. Uh, I haven't had a life in about a year. So, I mean, I got to do what I got to do, and I got to do the sacrifices that I have to do. And, I mean, I'm just... I'll, like I said, I have to do what I got to do, man. You know, I'm ready. With this Gentlemen, after three rounds, we go to the judges' scorecards for a decision. The judges score the contest. 29-27, 29-27, and 29-28 for the winner. By unanimous decision, Sugar Congratulations. Tell, tell me what happened with your foot. Oh, the inside of it, I, I can't feel it. It went, went numb and I couldn't even step on it. I think it was a question mark kick. Oh, it, it really hurt. But nothing a little medicine can't fix after the fight after my after party. Well, listen, man, you look sensational up until that injury. The first and the second round, you were on fire. Andre Sukumtat decided to take that fight to the ground once your leg was hurt. That might have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, definitely. I could not stand on it. Uh, me and Andre talked a lot of back and forth this fight. Nothing but respect for him stepping up against a top prospect and knocking him out and then taking this fight with me. Nothing but respect. I love this game. I love the talk. I love the media. And I love, every I love everything about this sport. And I love you, Joe Hogan. Well, I love you too, buddy. Listen, man, what you did tonight was really fun. You're an incredibly promising young prospect. I hope your foot heals up as quick as possible, and I really, really enjoyed your fight tonight. I appreciate it. Thank everyone that came out to watch. Welcome to the Sugar Show, everybody. Sugar Show on Maui, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Welcome to the Sugar Show. Sugar Sean O'Malley. Remember the name told you about him before when he was on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series the man did his thing the young man was fighting his fight and striking is the name of 
his game. When he was on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, he was throwing all kinds of crazy combinations, uh, spinning uh, back kicks, just all kind of stuff. In this fight against Superman Top, oh my goodness, he hit him with a spinning back fist to a reverse punch and a reverse roundhouse kick. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, he put it on Andre Superman Top. And really, the only round he lost was the last round, and he lost that. Because, as he stated, he couldn't stand up. He threw a kick to Sukmantai's head. Uh, Sukmantai kind of blocked it a little bit with his hand. And, yeah, his foot was gone from there. Sukmantai said that he was rocked from the first round. He did. He got hurt really bad at the end of the first round. If it had been a little bit longer, that fight would have been stopped. And he never fully recovered from that. That hurt him quite a bit as far as the fight is concerned. Because I believe Suintas corner was telling him, stand up, back up, make him stand up because he couldn't stand. And if he couldn't stand, he couldn't continue the fight. And if he couldn't continue the fight, that means Suintas would have won. But for some reason... Sukmantai was taking him down and really thinking about it now because he was hurt that was the safest place for him to be if he's in the fight and he wants to stay safe if he can take it to the ground stay on top try to rain down ground and pound he wouldn't get hurt anymore but there was no way he was going to win because of how bad he had lost in the first two rounds. I believe a couple of the judges, if not all of the judges, gave the first round as a 10-8 to Sean O'Malley. And they should have because, like I say, he really had him hurt bad. If it had been a couple seconds left, the fight would have been stopped. So that should have been a 10-8 round. However, that's not how things worked out. Sean O'Malley uh, did win the fight. He didn't win it that way. But winning it the way he did actually probably did more to <laughs> add to the lore that is the Sugar Show because he fought through adversity. He was able to come out victorious. And this is the first time, I believe, in UFC history and definitely the first time that I've ever seen a post-fight interview take place with the winner laying down in the octagon it, it was crazy he was laying there his foot was elevated again he couldn't stand so when it came time to announce the results of the fight he was laying down super was standing up and joe rogan came over knelt down and gave him the microphone to speak they just kind of went back and forth it was a phenomenal and iconic scene and again, something I've never seen before, something I don't believe the fighting world has ever seen before. And if he continues on the rise that he's currently on, it's something that will galvanize people behind him and stand out as a watershed moment for Sugar Sean O'Malley.
Welcome back to the FS1 UFC 222 prelims. John Dodson and Pedro Munoz anxiously awaiting the scorecards. Bruce Buffer has them. Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, after three rounds, we go to the judges' scorecards for a decision. Saudi model scores the contest 29-28, Munoz. Adelaide Bird scores it 30-27, Dotson. And Glenn Trover scores the contest 29-28 for the winner. By split decision, John the Magician, The voices marking matchup for the prelims on paper, oh my goodness, look phenomenal. John the Magician Dotson, a two-time title challenger versus Pedro, the young Punisher Munoz. I mean, come on. Is there a more gangster nickname than the young Punisher? Yeah, I, I don't know. If you can think of one, hit me on all social media at The Voice. That's T-H-A, V as in Victor, O, Y as in Yankee, Z as in Zulu, E, on all social media and let me know of a better fighter's nickname. Anyway, that was probably the <laughs> the best thing that he had going for him in the fight was his nickname because he yeah, did not do much of anything. Dotson's movement was way too much for Munoz. He was cutting angles in and out. He was doing a phenomenal job of coming around the side of Munoz and delivering strikes before Munoz could do anything about it. It wound up as being a split decision, but it was not a split decision. Or I should say, it should not be a split decision. Uh, controversial referee Adelaide Bird uh, was there at the fight and was scoring fights. She saw it correctly, however, all for Dotson. Again, this was a night of rising stars. You had Cody Stamen who beat on Misha Tate's uh, ex, a man who's hated by so many, 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 many people. Brian Carraway. Mackenzie Dern was in the Fox Sports 1 feature prelim, and she won her fight. You know, another decision. And I believe that was a split decision, too. So a lot of split decisions on this card. But the one fighter on the prelims that stood out head and shoulders above everyone else was making his UFC debut. Alexander the Great Hernandez and Benil Dariush. Up next, you'll hear the entire fight. And then I'll give a little bit of commentary. This won a performance of the night bonus for Hernandez. This is well, Benil Dariush. UFC appearance number 13, 8, 3, oh, and 1 for him against the confident what? newcomer. And oh, oh, what? Fake the tap and went in with a front kick to the body. That's dirty. This dude. <laughs> Joe, this dude. Look at him. Oh, Hernandez with a good flurry. Good kick to the body by Hernandez. But a good left hand there by Benil. Hernandez. Hernandez. 
Sorry, so you see, he said he moves like a 35er and hits like a 70er. Eight, that left hand from Darius, though. He said he's a huge fan of TJ Dillashaw, his hero, his idol. And he wants to be like, wants to move like Dillashaw and fight like Dillashaw. The problem with that quick start like that, though. Oh! That fight had one of the most interesting starts that I've seen. It really put you in mind of the old school MMA fights. And when I say old school, I'm talking about like UFC 1, 2, 3, like that, where both fighters were on the opposite ends of the cage. And then one of them just takes off running after the other one. That's really what happened with uh, Hernandez. It looked as if he was coming out to touch hands, or that's what the people thought. But he really was moving at a fast pace, came from like a crouching position. He said a three-point stance, and he's correct. Uh, one hand down, both feet down, came up, hand was out in front, which made everyone think that he was going to touch hands. But that was so that he could gauge range. As soon as he got close enough, bam, caught Benil Darius with a front kick. And as you heard, there wasn't much else going on from that fight outside of Hernandez turning Darius's lights out. This is such a big win and such a great way for Hernandez to introduce himself to the UFC and the mainstream hardcore MMA fan base because Darius is nobody's joke. Everyone knows how tough a fighter he is, how skilled a fighter he is, and to take him out in like 30 seconds, really with one blow, oh my goodness. Yeah, he definitely put himself out there as one to watch with the results of that fight. Bellator 194 took place in Thackerville, Oklahoma at the Windstar Resort and Casino. Bellator goes to this location at least once a year, sometimes a couple times a year. So they sell it out. It's always a nice, nice event for Bellator and for the fans to come out. I don't know if they felt that way once it was over because it was just a decision-filled main card. Three out of the four fights went to the decision, and two of those decisions were fairly nondescript. Beginning with the curtain jerker, Juan Archuleta, who beat William Joplin, can't tell you who either one of them is. Neither of them stood out after the fight. It was just, it, it was a fight. Uh, now, if you were to go and watch any of the fights that have been decisions on this Bellator card, which you probably can do either via YouTube, and you definitely can do it on the Bellator app, which is free, it would be Christina Williams versus Emily Ducote. Now, I forgot who these wonderful women were 
leading up to the fight. But when they came out, I was like, oh, yeah, Christina Williams. That's the lady who beat the snot out of Heather Hardy last time and, and stopped her because she just beat her to a bloody pulp. Oh, Emily Ducote. That's right. That's the lady who lost the uh, inaugural featherweight title to Elimelay McFarlane. That's who was fighting her. Oh, yeah, I remember them. Uh, had I remembered, I probably would have made this the Voices Marquee matchup for the card. Again, I just didn't remember. And what stuck out was former champ Joe Warren and baby Joe Tamingo, which was another decision. And you'll hear a bit more about that in a moment. However, Williams and Dakota put on a great, great fight. Williams is a striking specialist with a black belt in Taekwondo, I believe. And she handed to Cody her second consecutive loss. Now, this was the second win in a row for Williams. Both of those wins have come in the double to a cage and both against notable opponents. So, uh, yeah, the sky's the limit for Williams. Hopefully, Bellator will continue to bring her along slowly. Um... I can see her fighting maybe Anna uh, Hulatin next or someone on that level because, again, this is her this is her second professional fight. Now, granted, she's got a storied and a long Taekwondo career. She was super calm and confident in the ring and said, hey, um, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. This is nothing new. I'm not nervous because I'm used to performing in front of crowds and on high levels due to my Taekwondo background or due to my uh, fighting background coming up. Again, though, I really want to see them kind of take things slow with her. Uh, maybe fighting the loser of Rebecca Ruth and uh, Juliana, or I should say Juliana Vasquez. Even that might be a bit too much because Ruth is a beast and Vasquez is undefeated currently. So even the loser, that may be a bit much. Again, I hope they build her slowly as they have been building slowly some of the other future stars, people like Ed Ruth and Tyrell Fortune uh, and Gerard Trice and Romero uh, Cotton who did win his fight on this card. He was uh, the Voices Marquee matchup for the undercard. He picked up a second-round rear-naked choke win over Justin Reza, and really, Reza just gave up. Cotton wasn't even on him that way. I mean, he, he had a choke in. He had a hook in. Reza could have fought it. He was just exhausted. He was just like, okay... This is enough. So he tapped out. He saw his way out and he took it. Let's take a listen to the last minute of the Joe Warren, Baby Joe Chimingo fight. And then I'll give some commentary on that as it was the Voices Marquee matchup for the main card. Seconds, Chael. Joe Warren can come all the way to his feet now. Anybody's fight right here, right now. 
look at Baby Joe just pressuring and pushing it. Joe Warren just needs an inch. He needs a half an inch, and Baby Joe won't give it to him. Brilliant strategy by Baby Joe. He's just pressuring him. There, Joe Warren found his underhook. He'll be on his feet in a moment here. Continuous pressure. Joe Timinglo said, tonight, I want to focus and stick to my game plan. The former featherweight and bantamweight champion Joe Warren has only lost one career decision. Will it go his way or Timinglo's? Let's find out. Michael C. Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, for the decision, we'll go to your three judges at cage side. Your first judge, David Sutherland, scores the fight 30 to 27. He sees the fight for Timinglo. Your second judge, Dan Matisse, scores the fight 29 to 28, scoring the fight for Warren. Your third and final judge, Michael Bell, scores the fight 30 to 27 for the winner by split decision. Baby Joe, the juggernaut, Tarmingo. Joe Warren is an Olympic wrestler who built his fighting career off of being able to wrestle. His first couple fights, which were in Japan, and I believe they were in the Dream Organization, he won strictly through wrestling. He got the person down to the ground and delivered some ground and pound and won the fight. When you can't stop Baby Joe Tamenglo, and <laughs> which is interesting, Baby Joe, his now Baby is not his first name. His name is Joe Tamenglo. Baby Joe Tamenglo is his nickname, or I should say Baby Joe, but he's got two nicknames, one in the beginning and at the end of his first name. So sandwich, Baby Joe the Juggernaut, Tamenglo. Anyway, I digress. When you can't stop him from taking you down, you got problems. And I won't even say problems, but you got problems if you want to stay in the fight game. Joe Warren has been doing this for quite some time since like the late 2000s. I want to say his first fight was around 2008, 2007, somewhere in there. So he's been fighting for at least a decade. He's been competing athletically on a high level for years. Like I said, this is an Olympian, which means that he was a phenomenal wrestler in college and also in high school and probably wrestled uh, in AAU in grade school. You know, th this is what he's been doing. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal competitor. But you got to know when to call it quits. And if you can't stop Baby Joe from taking you down in the last round of a fight that was a split decision and could have gone either way, it might be time to hang it up. Patricky and Patricio in his corner, along with Eric Alberstein, his wrestling coach. Ego spent a lot, a lot of time preparing for this fight, and a lot of time overall with the Olympic medalist Henry Cejudo, the gold medals. They're good buds. That's a good guy to work on wrestling with. Well, I don't think you can get a better training partner for this weight class when you're trying to take on and defend a wrestler. But look, Ego's marching orders are pretty simple. And oh. 
Glass double set up by the hands. And great mix attack. Okay, he threw it across. He stepped into it. Well, Ego brought his hands up to defend. Caldwell was already changing elevation to go low and tackle him to the ground. That is a great stand-up, though. What a good job Ego does. Get his back up against the fence, working his way up. Unless he can get an underhook. Get one arm inside, though. He's going to be susceptible to be brought down to the mat. Caldwell loves his position. He loves his... Oh, my God. He's going to take it. Yes, and it's all over. He has it. Ref, wait, wait, wait. Get it. Darion Caldwell did his thing. I mean, the wolf showed up, showed out, devoured his prey, and is on his way to the next one. And as a matter of fact, by winning and winning in the fashion that he did, he may have set up his next two possibly three fights now baby joe Taminglo called out darion after his victory over joe warren said hey let's do it again let's make this rubber match i beat you the first time you beat me the second time let's do it again so that's one possibility for darion caldwell but the other two fights <laughs> are against the pitbull brothers Leandro Higo, which he gave a lot of respect to, he being Caldwell, he's a protege of the Pitbull brothers, both Patricio, who is the featherweight champion currently, and Patricky, who has been dying to get another shot at the lightweight title. Both of them were very, very upset with the way things went down and started hurling all kinds of obscenities into the ring about Caldwell while he was giving his post-fight speech. So, like I say, he he set himself up to eat for quite some time if he can continue to win. He said he definitely does want to go up in weight to face uh, the champion, Patricio Pitbull, but that's not something necessarily that he was looking to do immediately. He was looking to do that down the road and down the line. With all the heat that came off of this fight, though, I could see that happening sooner than later. And then uh, Patricio, yeah, he's got a while for that one. Again, Caldwell's a young man uh, in his mid-20s, I believe fighting at 135 pounds in a couple years he'll get his grown man weight and at that point making a move up in weight makes all the sense in the world but either way it goes he definitely has positioned himself well and with that stoppage over Higo which I said Higo was probably the highest level of competition that he had faced or one of the highest levels of competition that he had faced uh, to date, with the exception of when he beat uh, Eduardo Dantes for the title. Yeah, outside of Higo, Dantes, obviously, uh, being the title holder, would be the greatest challenge that Caldwell had. I thought that it might be a bit too much for Caldwell because Higo had a lot of experience, but 
Caldwell's experience specifically in the wrestling department was way too much for Higo. As you heard, he was mixing up the strikes as well as mixing in his takedown and just utterly dominated the fight. Hey, salute to the wolf. You did your thing. And looking forward to seeing the next time you step into the Bellator cage. This is an off week for MMA as none of the major organizations have a card this week. However, this does give us an opportunity to catch our breath, build that passion, drive, and desire to see fights so that we can get up in the afternoon and watch UFC Fight Night 127 coming from the beautiful O2 Arena in London, England, headlined by a heavyweight bout between former champion Fabricio Verdun and former Bellator champion Alexander Volkov. That's right. Drago versus Vaikavalo. Co-main event is a rematch between Jan Blachowicz and Jimmy Manoa. That's right. The poster boy. Nigel Stand Up will be fighting. The Englishmen will be fighting there at home against Blahovich again and should be a good fight. Tom Dukenwah is going to be taking on Terion Ware. And this is a very important fight for Ware as I think he's on a, at least a two, if not a three fight losing streak in the UFC. And you don't get that many chances not to come out on top and stay employed by the UFC. Even with a victory, Especially if it's not impressive, I could see him getting some walking papers. So, a really, really important fight for him. Rocky Leon Edwards is going to be taking on Peters Foboda at middleweight. And that's the curtain jerker for the main card. The prelims, which start at 1.45 Eastern Time. You got Charles Bird versus John Phillips. And Phillips is from Wales. He was featured on UFC Connected, which you can see on YouTube. It's the UK's version of UFC Unleashed. And, you know, it was decent. It was okay. Um, same as UFC Unleashed. You know, it's decent. It's okay. It's a good way to learn about the fighters. Uh, and again, that's something that you can view via YouTube. Oliver Encamp is going to be taking on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. And Hot Chocolate definitely brings the heat. He definitely brings the the thunder. But unfortunately, like Terion Ware, he's on a losing streak as well. And he's fighting there at home in the UK. If he's not able to pull out the victory... He's probably going to be fighting there at home again in the UK, but this time in Cage Warriors of Bama. Jack Marshman is going to be taking on Bradley Scott. That is a middleweight bout. Hakeem Dewadu. Oh, my goodness. Hakeem Dewadu. The man can fight. Oh, can he fight? He's Canadian. 
comes out of TriStar, I believe. He's going to be taking on Dan, Danny Henry. That's going to be at lightweight. If you don't know about Duwadu, Duwadu fought in the WSOF. And with the exception of one loss, I believe, yeah, he has destroyed his competition, thoroughly outclassing them and or stopping the fight. So that's, if that fight comes off, that's going to be a good fight. As always, whenever I'm previewing these cards uh, more than a week out, I don't pick my marquee matchups. Too many things can happen. Uh, people's visas can be denied. Their flights can be delayed. Hot water heaters can blow up and mess up weight cuts. Who knows what's going to happen? So I'll save those things for next week. Just giving you a bit of background right now about the fighters. Another fight card on this fight night is Magomed and Kaleov, who's going to be taking on Paul, the bear Jew. Craig, he is a colorful, colorful character. This fight is going to be at 205, and the 205 division is so thin that anyone who does anything of note thrusts themselves into possible title contention, or at least into moving up the ranks fairly quickly, as there's not a lot of depth at 205. Project Spearhead member Raging Cajun Johnson is going to be taking on Stevie Ray. Ray was recently not in the UFC and he's come in. I feel like he's replacing someone else that Cajun Johnson was supposed to fight, which is the reason why he's back in. Stevie Ray is a, uh, someone from the UK, so it makes sense for him to fill in on this card because he is fighting there uh, at home and can draw that area, the fans, I should say, of that area, into the stadium to see him fight. Mark Godbeer is going to be fighting Dmitry Sozniki. Yeah, I messed that all the way up. Uh, Sozna, Eastern European name. <laughs> That's a heavyweight fight. And whenever the heavyweights get together, uh, it can either be really good or really bad, and hopefully it'll be the former and not the latter. The curtain jerker is Nazrat. Last name, I'm not going to try. Starts with the H versus Alex Reyes, and that's going to be at 155 pounds again. I'll go more in depth into this card on next week after we know who's going to be fighting, who's not going to be fighting, or at least potentially who's fighting and not fighting. So stay tuned to the MMA main card for more information regarding UFC Fight Night 127 in London next Saturday on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. The time has come for blood, sweat, and tears. Where we go beyond the fighter to peer into the humanity and the heart of the athlete. 
This week, we'll be taking a look at Nick Newell. Nick Newell has such an inspiring story. If you don't know anything about him, this young man is a congenital amputee. He started wrestling in high school and he said that the first practice was so hard. It was the hardest thing that he'd ever done. And it was so difficult that he wanted to quit right then and there. But thank God for a mother who knows their child and a mother that would not allow any kind of physical limitations to be a roadblock to success for their child. She said, no, you're not going to quit. You're going to go back in there and you're going to give it everything that you have. See, Newell, as being a congenital amputee, idolized Jim Abbott of the Yankees, who was also an amputee and pitched for them uh, during their heyday back in the 2000s. Because he didn't give up, which is a very common attribute that wrestlers have, embracing the grind, not giving up, leaving it all out on the mat. Nick Newell went on to win hundreds of matches between the time that he was in high school as well as when he was in college. Now, I first found out about him watching highlights of his fights when he was in the XFC. I kept looking at him, I was like, hold on, this guy keeps choking out people with his amputated arm. It's like, how is he doing this? How, how is he getting the grip to do it and tap these guys out? Didn't know how he was doing it, but he kept on, kept on, kept on choking people out. Everyone kept saying, ah, he's not going to be able to do it. Or when he fights this person, it's probably not going to happen. And nearly every time he won choking people out, he was not afraid to use that limb either. Uh, even though there was no, uh, there's no hand on it. He's developed it over the years, learned how to get a good grip with it, and uh, will use it for striking as well. I mean, like I said, just a great, great example and an inspiration of what you can do. Doesn't matter what things may stand in your way, what limitations you may have. If you have the drive and the desire and the will to accomplish it, you can do just about anything. Nick Newell was undefeated, and he took that 9-0 undefeated record to the World Series of Fighting and ran it up to 11-0. Then he ran into the buzzsaw known as Justin the Highlight Gagey. Just depends on the day as to whether you'll come out on the winning side or not against Gagey. Gagey had not lost until recently when he fought Eddie Alvarez. Before that, he was undefeated and just a nonstop action fighter. Um, <laughs> I mean, losing to Gagey is no knock on anyone. After that, again, the determined Nick Newell fought 
two more times before retiring in 2015. When he retired, he knew that I've been just going, 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 going since high school and I've never stopped and I keep going into things with pains and with issues and, and with injuries and I know that that's a part of the game but in order for me to perform at my best level I need to rest which is so important it's so very important to know that you can keep going you can keep pushing you can keep pressing through things which is admirable but we all need rest at some point in our lives and that's a very important lesson that can be taken from Nick Newell he took time off during that time opened a gym got married and got healthy opening that gym created a strategy for his future it was a way for him to make money uh, whether he was fighting or not he found someone to share that future with being his wife and now he's getting ready to get back to what he enjoys most, which is competition. He'll be fighting and headlining the LFA card on Friday, uh, fighting Sonny Luke, someone who I have not heard of. Um, yeah, I, I haven't heard of him, so I can't say much about him. But I'll definitely be tuning in to see what happens because of the phenomenal, phenomenal human being who is Nick Newell. Just think, what would have happened to his life and to the life of others who are overcoming things and seeing him and now looking up to him the same way he looked up to Jim Abbott if his mother allowed him to quit back in high school? To keep up with Trackstar Sports, like the Trackstar Sports Facebook page, join in the discussion every day with us in the Debate Fuel Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. New content gets released every day except for Sunday on Anchor.fm. Also, subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Google Play. Until next time. It's your man, The Voice, Trackstar Sports MMA correspondent, bringing you the MMA main card, and I'm sounding off.